Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Coming up on today's Autosport podcast, an interview with Cyril Abitable. In the latest interview for the Thinking Forward series of thought leadership discussions on the Autosport podcast today, Motorsport Network President James Allen and Motorsport.com F1 editor Jonathan Noble speak to Cyril Abitable, Renault Sport Racing Managing Director, about what the coronavirus crisis has done for the automotive companies and their involvement with motorsport. They also discuss what he wants to see from the new deal amongst F1 teams, how racing can appeal to a younger fan base and how technologies can be transferred between racing series. And of course, we do ask him about his driver lineup, Daniel Ricciardo, and he'll be racing with them next year. But what does he say to us? Well, stick around and you'll find out. Cyril, thank you very much for taking the time to join us on this hashtag Thinking Forward series. Obviously, you represent Renault, one of the world's largest manufacturers that's across so many areas of motorsport and has been for, for decades, even over a century. Uh, including obviously the pinnacle F1. What's this crisis done for the appetite, do you think, of, of major manufacturers to invest in the sport in the, in the, in the sort of short and medium term? Well, I guess it's, uh, there's different uh, aspects to this question. I mean, there is a short term. Short term, obviously, it's a, it's a challenge for everyone, for, for all companies, for, for the automotive, but also for a, a number of other companies, of other sectors. So I think short terms, uh, obviously, uh, we would like to uh, to make sure it was important to make sure that uh, the sport takes the measures that are appropriate in order to uh, reduce the cash requirement, uh, so that we can uh, you know focus on the other areas of the of the business, and uh, I guess uh, it will also uh, allow to see what will be really the the, the length and duration and uh, magnitude of the crisis, which in my opinion is still really an, an unknown both from a, from a, from an health. 
perspective, uh, but also from an economic perspective. Um, and therefore, I think it was important to, uh, to take uh, appropriate measures so that uh, uh, when there is a restart, we can also uh, adjust to, uh, to, the, to the circumstance. So I don't think that the appetite has suddenly disappeared. You know, the, the reason why uh, motorsport was making sense for certain and maybe less sense for others uh, are still valid. Uh, but uh, it was important to to see that the sport was capable of uh, of coming with uh, the appropriate uh, answers uh, uh, and solutions to uh, to the situation, which 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 has been the case, frankly, in Formula One. Obviously, the, I mentioned the, the the history there. I mean, the first Renault racing cars were pretty much year two of of Renault's foundation, where they I mean back in the eighteen nineties. So you have well over a century of racing in the brand. It's it's very much in the DNA of the company. Does that count for a lot? When you contemplate the future, yeah, I, th I think so. I think uh, if you look at what the brands are doing, uh, both in terms of uh, exposure awareness, but more importantly, differentiation. Uh, in particular, when you are a mainstream car makers, but also in uh, frankly in the upper segment, uh, you want to have uh, a clear narrative uh, as to why uh, a consumer should be interested in your brand and your product rather than uh, others. And I think what you have in uh, in your DNA, in your history, in your legacy. Uh, counts to a certain degree much more than anything else. Um, some people actually build uh, or invent an history to distantiate themselves uh, from, from other brands, in particular in that segment. And we are very lucky to, to a degree to uh, have been in, involved indeed in motorsport. Uh, don't, don't forget that one of the founders of Renault, Marcel Renault, died in a car crash in, uh, in Paris, Madrid. Uh, so we, we we pay to a certain degree a tribute to, to motorsport since day one, as you mentioned. We've been in Formula One since the 70s. Uh, we've been loyal to Formula One. And, and clearly, as we look forward, I think it's important to stay true to your roots, to where you're coming from, to your history, not just because of our loyalty, but also because it means something in, uh, in the narrative that you can offer to, uh, to today's and tomorrow's customers. Uh, then obviously it needs to be part of, uh, of a global strategy with product marketing, uh, with technology, with uh, uh, industrial and global footprint. And that's, I think, what is, is still uh, obviously uh, you know, continuously evolving. You know, Renault was initially a French car maker, then a European car maker, then part of a worldwide alliance. Uh, and all of that also requires a clear narrative as to where we come from and what we stand for. And motorsport as a, as a unique uh, uh, value, uh, contribution in, into it. That's why we believe into it, just like we, we believe in a number of other marketing uh, activities, uh, except that it's sport, except that it's pinnacle of technology. Uh, that's racing, that's emotion also. Renault stands for emotion. So all of that uh, means a lot. Uh, and that's why uh, we've been in this, in this for, for decades and we intend to do so uh, for, for very long. So it looks like we're very close to getting a, a future F1 rules package agreed in terms of budget cap technical regulations, um, you know, a blueprint of commercial rights going forward. Do you think they are what's needed to make Formula One a viable business model for manufacturers? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a much better uh, business uh, model, in, in my opinion, uh, if uh, the condition was good enough for, uh, for a number of factors to, uh, to join the sport in the, spa in the past, uh, they will be even better uh, tomorrow, with, uh, as you mentioned a better uh, financial distribution with a budget cap. Uh, we've also uh, contained arms race on, on engine development. All of that is pointing in the right direction for those who are already in the sport. I have a firm belief in, into that. I still believe that the, uh, the sort of entry ticket 
uh, the, the barrier to get into Formula One is, is fairly high. So it would take uh, probably uh, a serious uh, thinking and commitment from someone who's not currently in the sport to decide to get into the sport. But uh, really, for the people who are in the sport, the decision to stay uh, is uh, obviously uh, much easier than, uh, than it used to be. And that's what, that's what we need. We need first to have a strong sport and sustainable sport. We need to keep the people who are in the sport and see what can be done in order to attract uh, more people. But in that area, maybe we, we need to do a bit more. But I guess the first emergency was to make sure to keep the people already in the sport. What more could F1 do to make it a, a no-brainer for manufacturers so it's, so it's no longer a, a luxurious marketing exercise? It actually becomes an essential part for a, a road car maker. I guess the first element would be uh, to demonstrate with acts uh, what we've been talking about uh, since since years, because frankly, I mean, the first uh, uh, talk about uh, budget cap, which was previously a resource restriction agreement at the back of the financial crisis in 2008. Uh, uh, I mean, that's so it's 10 years, 12 years of work. So I think we need to see that decided, voted, implemented and see, I guess, uh, the result of that. If we see that we can move in particular from a two tier system uh, to a one tier system, if we can uh, uh, see that the racing are uh, exciting, that you have uh, grandstands that are full, that you can get to a reasonable budget for this uh, for this marketing platform and for all the values that are attributed, I think it would be a nice demonstration. Right now, uh, I think it's uh, it's maybe a bit too theoretical, uh, and I think uh, we need we, we need to show that. Uh, again, I think the the price of the technology in, in particular on the engine side is uh, is expensive. There is in the new deal. Uh, that uh, we have been working on a number of uh, measures, as I was mentioning, to reduce the necessity to spend on the engine side. But again, the, the entry ticket, if you are not in the sport already, it's still extremely high. So probably the next generation of power unit uh, will have, uh, and there's no work being really done uh, in relation to that, may have to take on board this requirement to attract more people into the sport. Well, obviously, during the course of this uh, lockdown crisis have been and the build-up to this new rules package have been various different theories and ideas that have been bouncing around. One of them was the debate around allowing customer cars for a short period of time to help the smaller F1 teams regain their footing. What did you feel about that idea? Well, without surprise, uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not super keen. I'm not super keen. I think, I think it's, there's two things. I mean, first, on one side, it's probably a good idea to, to feel the grid if there is a necessity to do so. But uh, I see that as a, as a patch, as a, as a fix, rather than a, than a clean uh, solution. I continue to see uh, in a sport that is highly skewed towards uh, performance uh, from an economic perspective. Let's not forget uh, the, the financial upside of performing well uh, in the sport. Uh, I still see in, uh, in customer team uh, a very dangerous construction that can uh, uh, Bies, the sport based the, 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 the level playing field uh, and the fairness of the sport. I think it distorts the, the competition in a way that can be dangerous again with the economic implication that, that are associated. Um, so I still see that uh, with the current business, business model as uh, extremely hazardous uh, to, to say the least. Uh, it would probably uh, maintain the two-tier system that I was uh, mentioning previously, which I think people uh, don't really like to see. I know it's been part of, of Formula One in the history, so I, I'm not changing that. I'm, I'm aware of that. But I think it's typically the sort of thing that uh, we need to, to, to leave behind. I think anyone who enters a sport and does a, a good job should have a chance to win. Uh, anyone uh, watching a Formula One race 
should have uh, an opportunity to be surprised with who's winning the race, uh, which is not the case now, which would not be the case with, with customer, uh, customer team arrangements. So again, could have been a fix, could be a fix in the future if there is really the necessity, but I don't see that as a, as a proper solution. I, I think that uh, one thing that this crisis uh, and this new deal uh, is doing, I mean, there's things that are very well publicized, like budget cap, but there is also interesting things like, uh, uh, I don't know if you are aware, but uh, uh, open source component, you know, for the first time, uh, Formula One is going to, to move towards uh, opening, uh, you know, the technologies that we are developing, uh, and rather than construction between participants, which is not good for the sport customer teams, uh, having all teams collaborating together and developing what's best in certain areas of the car, open source components. For me, it's a fantastic way, much better, much more efficient, much more fair and transparent than a customer team arrangement. So uh, I'm much more in favor of that, frankly. Teams are now close to opening up the factories again as we potentially focus on the, the restart. How different are things going to be when we, when we get going again? Obviously, things aren't going to be exactly the same as before this crisis. No, I, I can tell you because actually we, we reopened this week in, uh, in Viri. Uh, engine manufacturer shutdown was shorter uh, by two weeks than uh, the chassis shutdown. So we restarted on Monday. And it's, it's strange. It's strange uh, really because uh, of all the safety measures that uh, uh, need to be uh, put in place. Uh, also, after such, uh, such a long break and uh, a break that uh, was not really for holiday, but... Uh, for a very uh, difficult reason. Uh, it's a bit difficult to get people into the mood and the mindset of uh, you know, the racing again. I think a number of our staff were really happy to be back, but still a little bit uh, uh, you know, uh, puzzled about uh, what, what, what this is all about. I think we need to be honest. I mean, what, what's racing in the context of that, what, we've, what we've lived? That's why I think we need to uh, hopefully see that crisis pro go properly away. Uh, even if there are a number of safety requirements, a number of uh, measures, and maybe implications that we will that will last uh, beyond beyond the crisis, like remote working and so on and so forth. But but indeed, uh, there is a bit of a trauma uh, of an aftershock effect that uh, that needs to be uh, to be to be put behind. Uh, we we need to find new ways of of working, but still maintaining what we are here for, maintaining the competitiveness of our organization and of our factories. So that's this balancing act that we uh, that we need to uh, to find, and and maybe that will be one of the factors in uh, the competitiveness of the teams uh, of the cars on track will be uh, who's been capable of um, of taking on board those new measures, of new ways of of working, this new context, and that's an interesting uh, that's a new interesting paradigm in my opinion. Cyril, some people view top-level motor racing as an entertainment platform. Some people involved because it drives technology and has wider benefits. Now we're coming out of this crisis. Do you think that balance changes at all? The focus needs to shift one direction or the other? Well, I think people will still continue to require entertainment. I mean, we've seen, uh, you know, all the platforms, the consumption of the platform during that lockdown uh, booming, you know, Netflix, Amazon, uh, Disney+, Plus, all these channels being... Uh, being actually launched and developed at, uh, at the right time. So we see that consumption in content and entertainment have been exploding. Uh, people are talking about uh, e-sport, uh, but I continue to see e-sport as a good complement uh, to Formula One. And what uh, people are exciting about in e-sport is to see actual racing driver 
compete or actual athletes uh, or celebrities uh, that are accomplished for other uh, activities compete in e-sport and also what e-sport has, has been able to offer is the access uh, to, uh, to, to the racing. I mean, we can listen to the comment of the drivers talking to each other or to their engineers uh, much better than we can do in the actual racing. And maybe that's uh, this type of, of takeaway. So I'm not part of the people thinking that it's all going to change. I think that the new world will not be massively different from the previous world. I think that there are a couple of lessons and learnings for the politics, and I will leave that uh, to them to, to take. I think for us, uh, I, I think that uh, this race for efficiency rather than racing for, uh, for uh, financial resources is, is a great add to Formula One. It goes in the direction of uh, what we need and what people want to listen. Uh, I would again talk about this collaboration. I think that people were extremely uh, surprised, uh, excited about the project pit lane in the UK. We had the equivalent uh, in France uh, where uh, our uh, engine activity, our engine base collaborated to, uh, to develop some ventilators in a record time. You know, what some industry can do in years, some others in months, in Formula One we can do in weeks. Uh, and this, uh, this statement has been demonstrated again with ACT, with, with this type of project. Uh, so, so maybe seeing a bit more of collaboration uh, in Formula One rather than pure competition. I mean, we are in a spot. We are competing against each other. And I'm not removing that. That needs to stay. But finding a way for teams to uh, maybe collaborate a little bit more uh, could probably be one lesson uh, of that crisis and probably uh, something that uh, the fan, in particular the younger generation that wants to see more collaboration between companies, between, between nations, would like to see, to see more in Formula One. And again, uh, we may have uh, in, uh, in the New Deal a framework to do this type of thing. Obviously, the Renault-Nissan alliance was an early, early adopter on, on Formula E and has been a big, big driver of the electric mobility scene. When it comes to racing, obviously, there's been a move anyway towards uh, developing that electric scene, but also the decarbonization of, of racing. How will um, the, this crisis, do you think, impact on attitudes of, of manufacturers like Renault and where they focus their investment in the future? Do you feel that this sort of, we've got through this crisis, but there's another even bigger crisis the other side, which is climate change that, that has to be addressed in, in short order, in other words? Yeah, I think so. You know, frank frankly, the trend for electrification is not going to go away. It's going to accelerate, in particular with, uh, you know, with the commitments that are that are that are taken by uh, by in the automotive sector uh, towards uh, towards more sustainability. So, so yes, I mean, clearly, uh, Formula One needs to keep on pointing in that direction. But it's been the case in 2009 with the new the first curse introduction, and then 2014 with. Uh, this pioneer. I think we need to do still a better job in marketing Formula One uh, in relation to that. So first, the reality is here, but the messaging has been really poor. We need to do much better at that. Stop criticizing the engine technology and saying what's great about it and start thinking the next generation. As I was mentioning, one of the things that we all agree is that we need to start planning for uh, the next generation of pioneer for 2015, 2016, something like that. Uh, sorry, 25 and 26. I'm, I'm missing a decade. I'm getting older. <laughs> uh, so we, we need to start planning, and that needs to be to be taken fully fully on board. Uh, uh, but we see that uh, uh, there is no. We should not have a dogmatic approach as to whether it's uh, only internal combustion engine or fully electric. I think this hybrid mix that we have now is good. Maybe the the mix can shift a bit more towards uh, electrification. But there is so much value in Formula One 
that uh, Formula One will continue to drive everything. You know, as you mentioned, uh, Renault Nissan were involved Formula One, Formula E, uh, and that the synergies that we we have, which allow to do Formula uh, E in a very cost-efficient way with uh, with Nissan, is uh, due to the fact that uh, we're developing a number of technologies for Formula One that can then be transferred into into Formula One, so into Formula E. That's why I think Formula One will continue to drive innovation. Will continue to drive technology. We need to make sure that it's you know, continue to point in the right direction. There is discussion about uh, biofuel, uh, sustainable fuel. I think it's it's great opportunities. We need to see that again in uh, in reality. Make sure that uh, uh, it's uh, relevant and consistent with what manufacturers and petroleum companies want want to do in in the future. Again, the need of mobility is not going to uh, go away, even if uh, the way that we're consuming mobility probably is going to change. But the, the requirement in mobility is not going to disappear. So I'm. Uh, I'm confident again that uh, we, we'll find good solutions. So even before this crisis, there was speculation about Renault's future in Formula One. When we spoke in Paris in February, you said things felt a bit, bit safer regarding the future and you were more optimistic. How has this crisis changed that perception? What message are you getting from your bosses and Luca Di Meo about you know, Renault's future in Formula One after this? Well, first, I'm not receiving any message from Luca Di Meo because he has not joined the company uh, yet, as you know, but he, he will uh, very soon uh, uh, be uh, part of what we do, I'm sure. Uh, secondly, we know also that there will be a continuity between our current uh, interim CEO. Uh, she will stay on as a deputy CEO. So the decision and uh, the discussion we're having with uh, our current CEO, Clotilde Elbos, uh, are will remain obviously uh, valid. So first, management continuity is very important for what we do. Uh, but for everything that, that Renault is uh, is doing, uh, uh, look, uh, indeed, you, you, we, we know that uh, we are facing challenging situation. I think it's, as I was mentioning, it's still a bit early to measure uh, real, real, really the, the implication of that crisis. Sales have been down by uh, 90% in, in France uh, last month for very obvious reasons. You know, people can't, can't get out. I actually wonder how we managed to, to sell 10% of our cars, frankly. Uh, so, you know, let's, let's be honest, you know, it's, it's a major crisis. So uh, it's difficult to assume now what would be really the effect. But having said that, if we leave, if we leave the crisis outside of this equation, all the things that are happening, uh, you know, better uh, financial, but better money distribution from price fund, lower budget cap, we will vote about the actual cap level, but we all know already, it's no secret that it will be much lower than it was. And we've been pushing for years for this type of figures. So frankly, what will be voted uh, will probably be uh, very good for us, uh, very close from the, the level at which we've been operating. Um, so that's good. Again, we've been able also to push for containing uh, the crazy uh, development race on the engine. And it's really insane what we've been spending on the engine. And finally, that's going to change. So, uh, you know, it happens that uh, what this crisis has done, and, you know, I don't want to talk about opportunity when we talk about a crisis like this one with so many uh, casualties all around the world. But uh, the, the, it's a fact that our voice has uh, finally been heard as maybe a voice uh, that is representing common sense. Uh, and uh, so, again, vote still needs to, to take place, uh, but I'm confident uh, that uh, uh, if the business case was good before, it's only better now. Uh, we again just need to make sure that uh, the effect of, of the crisis will be contained in time and in magnitude. And beyond the budget cap, do you think this, this kind of outline talk regarding a driver salary cap 
could be important as well for ensuring that five years time, ten years time, you know, costs aren't shifted away from spending on cars to spending on drivers. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we we all know that it's just a, a balloon. I mean, if we squeeze on the one side, the air is going to to shift on the other side. So uh, we're going to squeeze on chassis expenditure. There is a, there was a risk on uh, engine expenditure, which has been contained to a certain level. I think I still believe that we need to envisage the next step, which will probably be uh, a, a budget cap on the uh, engine activity, and the next area will will obviously uh, be. Uh, uh, driver's uh, salary cost uh, that that needs also to be uh, put under control. A number of sports have done that. Uh, we uh, are going, a number of teams will have to uh, lay off uh, hundreds of people. Uh, doing that on one side with all the social implications uh, for which really we, we feel and we associate, associate ourselves to uh, what top teams are going to have to do in the next few months. And at the same time, continuing to have uh, an amazing inflation on on uh, on driver driver cost for me it's it's unfair it makes no sense uh, you know we are not talking about uh, uh, you know being unreasonable about uh, their salaries but doing nothing in my opinion it would be is is or would be a, a missed opportunities again there are more discussion going on about that but we've been pushing massively since uh, since years uh, so hopefully we'll be heard like we've been heard on the rest well on the subject of, of drivers and Formula One drivers obviously. The news of last week with Daniel moving on. Uh, obviously, 2019 didn't work out the way that that either you or he felt uh, or hoped it was going to. Do, do you feel let down though a little bit by the way this has all played out? First and foremost, there is one more season, uh, one season that has not even started, and one season that is likely to be very intense with double leader, triple leader, maybe four four races in a row. Uh, so we, we, first, it's it's important to remind that we have one year to or one season to do together, and we we expect more out of that season than from uh, last season. That goes both ways. That's that's sure. Um, I'm a bit disappointed because I don't think that you can build uh, anything without stability. That goes for drivers, but that frankly, that's also true for the rest of the organization. We had uh, lots of changes last year. Uh, 70% of our staff uh, have seen change of management or uh, structure to their department, new technical director, new head of aero, new engineering director. All of that has happened in the last 12 months. It's lots of change. I would have uh, liked to... uh, uh, to see that, uh, to see the, the result of that, because we all know that there is a bit of a latency, uh, to see the result of that before uh, going into, a, you know, into the, the action of uh, driver change and uh, driver discussion. And then I'm, I'm a bit surprised that, uh, that uh, the activism of two particular Formula One teams uh, have uh, pushed Daniel to, uh, to sort of rush his, his decision. And uh, we've decided not to bend over uh, this timing. And... Uh, and to, to stick to our plan. Uh, our plan and our priority is to make a better car. If we had had a better car last year, probably we would not, you would not be asking me this, this question. Uh, and we know that with a better car, we'll be able to uh, attract uh, any driver in the future. So that's our focus. Uh, that's been our priority. The new regulation, the new deal have been our priority. Uh, securing the future of Renault F1 has been our priority. Uh, he's made his decision. We are moving on. So what's your strategy now in terms of who replaces him with budgets under under pressure? Do you go for a big name star like Alonso or Vettel or Bottas, or do you go for a youngster and try and build longer term? We've uh, we've not done a race. We've not done a, even a session. Uh, we, we've done the winter test. Our, our performance was encouraging, but it's 
just winter test. Uh, frankly, as I'm speaking, I don't know the, the competitiveness of our car. We all have our analysis, but until we've done a proper qualifying run, we don't know. And that's typically the, you know, the competitiveness of the car, which is a representation of the competitiveness of the team and of the new people that we have. Uh, and therefore, the priorities of where we want to put our money is a sort of, uh, a, you know, indication that I want to have before, before I rush any decision. So our position is uh, more a position about uh, taking the time to be properly informed to make sure that we make uh, this the right decision, uh, because probably the, the next decision on driver will be an important one. Most probably the, the driver who join us for 2021 will stay for 2022. And we all know that uh, if our sporting roadmap has been changed due to the shift to the regulation, uh, our ambitions have not changed and we need to make sure to have the right driver. So I know I'm not answering to your, your questions, John. I'm sorry for that. But I'm not answering simply because we want to take the time to make sure we, we, we make the right decision. I think that has been the first sort of domino of drivers. I expect that there may be another one, but not before a, a number of, uh, of months. Uh, so we uh, think uh, of ourselves as part of this second uh, movement uh, and not, nothing in between, frankly. One intriguing little element that I do want to ask you about is within your structure, within your academy, you've got Guan Yu Zhu. Uh, the Chinese driver who's coming up through the ranks, who's who's only needs to get a a handful of results uh, coming into this in in this coming season to qualify for a super license. What what are your thoughts on on him and his prospects? No, but exactly, I didn't I didn't uh, answer uh, with any names to uh, to John because I don't want to put you know any pressure or uh, anyone under any 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 light. But that's exactly the sort when I was talking about being more informed, better documented than what we are now. Typically, there is. Uh, our academy drivers. You, you mentioned the name of uh, Guan Yu Zhu, Joe. Uh, you could also have mentioned uh, Christian Lungard. Uh, both of them would uh, have their super license if they finish before, if my memory is correct, into the in the F2 championship. A championship, we're talking a lot about the F1 championship, but another championship which is very important is F2, F3 championship. It's important for this year, but it's important also for this young generation of people and for the drivers who will make it to Formula 1. Formula 1 could be facing a problem if there is no F2 championship this year with some drivers could be being close from retiring. And we need to make sure that we have enough drivers uh, fit and ready with super license points to get into Formula One. So that's typically the sort of things that we want to find out. We want to see what's the pace of Guan Yu Zhu, uh, what's the pace of Christian, uh, the competitiveness, and there could be fantastic options. You know, there could be, as we sitting now, uh, it's a bit audacious to think that, but who knows, you know, with one more season of F2, for them, it could be the right thing to do. And that's typically the sort of things that we could not decide uh, when, uh, when uh, the de decision accelerated, had to accelerate with, uh, with Daniel. Well, Cyril, it's been fantastic talking to you as always. And thank you so much again for making the time to talk to us on this hashtag Thinking Forward uh, series. Good luck. I'm glad to see that Viri's back open and Enstone will be open again soon. And the very, very best of luck for when you get the resumption of racing going again. Thank you very much. Thank you.
Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com slash Trilo Music. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. American Giant does things the hard way, but that's because it's the right way. By choosing to manufacture all of its clothes in the United States, American Giant supports local communities and produces the highest quality goods on the market. Ten years ago, they went against the grain and imagined making a hoodie of unbelievable quality locally, one that would hold up for years and get better with each wear. They did just that, and now they have a full range of durable essentials for men and women, including tees, premium sweaters, cozy sweats, and so much more. The best part? Everything is American-made to the highest standards, supporting hardworking communities, living wages, and safe working conditions. So you can buy your values and fill your closet with long-lasting clothes you can feel great about. Wear your values in the new year. Complete with durable essentials at American-Giant.com and get 20% off with code NY23 at checkout. That's 20% off at American-Giant.com, code NY23. Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.